Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kristen Lizenby, and my co-host, Kate Ballou. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kate Ballou. And I'm Kristen Lizenby. So, happy Beltane. I know that recording schedules always make this sort of an adventure, so listeners, hello in the future. (laughs) But this episode is recorded with the magic of Beltane on the eve of the sacred day and also in the shadow of the Scorpio full moon. So yes, happy Beltane, Kate, and happy full moon. Yeah, how are you feeling? So wonderful and grounded right now. Mm -hmm. I spent a good portion of my day in the sun transplanting tomatoes and a few spider plants that my neighbors gifted me. I feel like all I do is talk about gardening right now, but it's very accurate. We love it. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling today? Well, this is a one-bedroom apartment with lots of Scorpio placements. Scorpio Mm -hmm. rising here, Cody's a Scorpio sun, Scorpio moon, so I think we're as good as can be expected. (laughs) I also have reasons to believe that Banjo must have some heavy Scorpio in his chart, but because he's a stray, we'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) What about you and Eric? Uh, Yeah, we both have Scorpio in our charts, and I'm a Scorpio rising too, so... I feel all of this right now. So what are we talking about today? Today we are talking about the archetype of the mother as she appears in mythology, literature, film. We might even reference some psychology. I know that like all archetypes, there are many versions of the mother. So which one are you going to be talking about today? I'm going to be doing a little bit of meandering, so listeners, thank you in advance for your patience. (laughs) I see the mother as so multifaceted, and just when I think I've lined up my ideas about the archetype, they all take um, a bit of a turn. So I'll be talking about how I connect with the mother, Disney movies and absent mothers, self-initiation, the Virgin Mary, and some goddess tales. And it's probably not a surprise, but I want to talk about the creative mother, you know, the inspired, imaginative being Mm. that exists inside all of us, regardless of gender, and who expresses herself through that which she gives life to, whether that be another human or something entirely different. I love this so much. Let's dive in. It's always a bit intimidating, but also eye-opening to talk about something like an archetype that deals with a realm you feel like you have no experience in. There's a part of me that thinks, how am I qualified to speak about motherhood when I'm not a mother, at least not in the traditional sense? When we talked about the maiden archetype in episode 18, I had some hesitation because of how often she's represented. But I'd also been through maidenhood. I've been a student. In my eyes, I am still a student. I can relate to being brave, but also naive, and following a metaphorical trail of breadcrumbs, somehow knowing they would lead me to something wonderful. 
But even if I don't consider myself a mother in the way modern society views her, I still like to remind myself that the mother archetype is part of the triple goddess. She's the full moon, the high priestess, and she's available to us in every stage of life. And to me, the mother is so much more than strictly a vessel to create a child. That is one of her faces, of course, but to me, she also represents an unlimited well of compassion, selflessness, and devotion. In nature, she comes to us in the summer months, when plants and food emerge from the Earth's fertile soil. In literature and mythology, she's the unassuming guardian who often appears wearing red, a nod to our life force and the blood that sustains us. This feels fitting when we consider that one of the many roles of the mother involves sharing that life force, her vital essence, to sustain another. This, of course, means that the mother would be wise to take care of her body and consider how every choice she makes takes root, creating either flowers or thistle. While the maiden was free to float with the wind wherever it took her, the mother initiates us into adulthood. She walks side by side the student, teaching us responsibility, patience, and that honoring our obligations is a way to honor ourselves, presently and in the future. The mother archetype represents that which we sacrifice for our creations, and it's that relationship between sacrifice and creation that I'd like to explore a little more today, because this is a concept that might feel familiar to many humans, regardless of age, gender, or familial status. Yeah, and this really brings up the word tithe for me. I'm just really excited to hear where you're going with this. Yes, I love that word too, because so often sacrifice is seen as negative or scary, a death of sorts, which sounds dark, right? It's like we're losing something precious, something that we hold dearly, and without it, we will never be the same. And there is some truth to that, but I also see sacrifice as an exchange. I don't know if this resonates with you, Kate, but For some, myself included, the greatest thing I can offer or sacrifice is my time. Because time is one of those things that you can never get back. And if you're like me and have a million things you're trying to accomplish or that you want to do, or if you're in the midst of turning that manuscript into a full-fledged book, that one painting into a gallery show, the mother understands that and she's here to help us. Absolutely. And, you know, not only is this a sacrifice, but I also kind of feel like it's an offering or a gift, like whatever you're willing to lay down at the altar of your day in order to make influence over time, you know, to craft and to create. Yes, I saw a post the other day that said, we are the altar, not the sacrifice. And I really like that, but I also think we're both. And like, like you said, we have to be willing to make sacrifices in some form to create and make space for what we're calling in. Time is one of the greatest and at the same time, most bittersweet things to give. I'm so protective of it, probably because when we're in the midst of creating something, whether that be a physical object or a concept or idea... When you're deep in the flow state, the laws that regulate time seem to take on a new dynamic. They're no longer here just to cue us to go to work at this time or go to bed at that time, 
but to remind us that how we spend our time, where we direct the majority of our energy throughout the day, that's what we can expect to grow, to take form. This is what we're giving birth to, so to speak. Time in general is such an interesting concept to talk about. You know, it's a man-made construct, yet we define pretty much everything by its relationship to time. You know, what time is dinner? Uh, When is the next full moon? How much free time do you have this weekend? I don't think we have near enough time, (laughs) pun intended, for me to go off on a philosophical rant about a human's relationship to time, although I would like to. (laughs) But I just want to plant this one seed. Time, whether we're talking about an hour, a minute, a second, a day of the week, is so fertile and receptive. And we can only access time, play with it, and mold it in the present. If we go too far into that rabbit hole, we are never getting out. But I definitely am tempted. (laughs) Maybe an idea for season two. Yes, absolutely. All this makes me think of the parent who has a child and sacrifices many things, but time being the one that stands out to me more than anything. Often the mother or whoever is the primary caregiver has to make tough choices when it comes to career, money, and obligations after a child comes into the picture. Which is also a love language, right? Like there's the giving of time, acts of service, gifts, words of affirmation, and those are all from the self, like in a way to share and give love. Absolutely. And this reaches beyond the physical mother, because remember, she's an archetype. Mm -hmm. The artist sacrifices time when working on a new piece. The entrepreneur does it when they're growing their business. The athlete does the same when they practice, 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 and set a new personal best. And there's a very good chance that none of these accomplishments would have come to light had these people not been willing to offer their time, the precious ingredient that I think delivers self-realization, fulfillment, and a greater level of understanding when it comes to our role as creative beings. When we sacrifice something that we love dearly for the betterment of something else, we invoke the mother. But for the mother, and hopefully for us too, The sacrifice is more of an exchange than a loss, because we get something in return. It's all part of that cyclical nature. Yes. I think it's important to note that this archetype is the ultimate giver. She's the nurturer, the caretaker, and the one we can always turn to. She's the cheerleader, our biggest fan, the person who we long to have in our corner. And I also understand that this representation may not be realistic. As Caitlin said in last week's episode, when we were talking a bit about her relationship to the mother archetype, she was quick to remind us that nobody, not even the goddess, is perfect. Like all humans, the mother is flawed. And something else that's important to remember if we want to work with this archetype in our craft is that the mother is the queen of showering love upon others, but who fills up her cauldron? Who or what fills up your cauldron? I can only speak for myself, but I know that when I'm working on bringing something new into the world, it can consume me, which isn't a bad thing, but, you know, (laughs) the triple goddess is a symbol of balance, Mm -hmm. so it's helpful for me 
to make it a ritual of sorts to redirect some of that energy back into myself and replenish my inner fire. And that's a practice in self-love, self-acceptance, which will look different to all of us. But for me, it's spending a day reading a book for pleasure, turning off my phone, a long nap, an afternoon in the garden, or catching up with my own mother and the mother figures in my life. In the book Maiden Mother Crone by DJ Conway, there is this really beautiful passage that reads, As the maiden aspect blends into the mother and the crone, so does the mother blend with the other two. She is separate yet parts of all aspects of the triple goddess. The earth is a visible symbol of her reproducing body, our home within her. Our power is boundless, as shown through the cycles of renewal in the seasons. And as the mother of all, she is our will to live, to accomplish, to reproduce, and to establish peace. She lives in all of her creations and creatures, as we do in her. Do you have a favorite myth or story where the themes of motherhood and sacrifice intersect? Of course. I will likely always first think of Persephone and Demeter because their story is so layered and complex with a million interpretations. But with Persephone, I see her sacrifice, her comfort, her mother and guardian, and just in general life as she knew it as part of her initiation into motherhood. In springtime, when she returns from the underworld to see her mother and she's carrying a child of her own, we see proof that her time spent underground was worthwhile. And of course, there are so many interpretations of what exactly her time in the underworld is referencing in real life, but when I think about it in regards to the creative mother archetype that I've been talking about, Mm -hmm. I see it as a metaphor for diving into or creating through the unconscious or the quest for realizing creative animus. I also see the Celtic goddess Matcha when I think of the mother and sacrifice. Are you familiar with her story? I'm not. So the super short of it for anyone who isn't familiar is that Matcha was a fairy, one of the she, if I'm not mistaken, and she fell in love with a mortal widower who was a very nice man, but accidentally got drunk and boasted to the king that his wife could outrun the fastest horses in the kingdom. So the king demanded that Matcha come and race his horses. The only issue was that she was pregnant with twins. But the king didn't care, and none of the villagers stood up for her when she arrived, so she was forced to race, otherwise the king would kill her partner. Matcha ended up winning the race, but at the end, when her children were born, literally at the finish line... She died, obviously, but not before cursing everyone and their future generations for what they did to her in her powerful but also fragile state. So super easy to see sacrifice in this story and also the destructive side of the mother, which is another important face of the mother archetype, Uh, you know, the side that shows she can give life but also take it. So we would be wise to show her respect. I hear the word mother, I hear the words behind the word first. There's the softness there, but also fierceness. There is a protective component. When I hear the word mother, I think about our planet, 
of the fragile web of things that we exist in, I also think about the way that the human body can give way to new life by transmuting, alchemizing, fundamentally altering the way that it existed before. Last night, before I sat down to work on this episode, I was teaching a workshop on ritual writing, and before closing out the class, it occurred to me to draw a card. And so I pulled out the Wild Unknown Archetypes deck, which is a favorite of mine, and I guess, not surprisingly, I pulled the Mother card. It makes me laugh that I still get surprised by these things, like, of course it was the mother card. (laughs) But um, on the card, there's a pearl under a hand, and the outside edges of it are wrapped in in rope. Um, My co-teacher, Minta, reminded me when I held it up to the Zoom camera that beautiful things like pearls are made with great friction, and, I want to add, with great care. I love that the mother showed up to remind you to write this episode because that just sounds like something she would do. Right? (laughs) Um, And Kim Kranz, uh, the artist of the deck, she writes this beautiful piece in the guidebook saying, um, we begin our archetypal story with the mother's love. And through her sensual, fertile, and life-giving energy, all creation takes form. Regardless of our birth story, each of our hearts beat for the first time in the warm womb of the mother where she offered resources from her body for the building of our own. Yet her tale is not so simple, as the mother, especially on the earthly plane, contains both light and dark aspects of the feminine. With the best of intentions, the mother wraps her loving arms around her creation and begins to grip what she meant to set free. The mother both nurtures and prohibits growth. She gives, yet clings. She creates, yet restricts. Amid this complex energy, the mother holds the key to the eternal challenge of love. And fun fact, the egg that created you was formed inside of your mother's fetus while she was inside of your grandmother's womb. Whoa. (laughs) I'm so happy you said this because that is something I think about all the time, Mm -hmm. especially when working with my ancestors, because it's just so wild to think about. Right? Yeah, my friend Brian was giving me a tarot reading not too long ago, and he kept speaking about my foremothers, and this is just the image that I conjured. And when I need help, I always look to my foremothers because of this kind of archetypal story. I think about Joan, Joyce, Patty, and I think before them. The women who came before us were powerful. They brought us into the world. And if your mom was like mine, she may have said something like, I brought you into this world and I can sure take you out of it. With like the biggest smile on her face. (laughs) Yes, that's the destructive mother again. I love it. And I think that when we feel lost, we can write to our foremothers or to those that raised us or to the goddess that resonates with us and leave the note on our altar along with a little offering. Because like you mentioned, Kristen, it's always nice to feel reciprocated. Yes. (laughs) The word mother has always been a very complex archetype to me, and maybe because in so many ways I'm still in my maidenhood at 28 with my dog as the closest thing I have to a child, along with, you know, a handful of creative projects and my house plants. But When I look around, I just think about all of the mothers that I have just been like straight up blessed to know, you know? 
Yes. Coworkers, best friends, cousins who have shaped, pulled, prodded, waddled into the creation of new life. And just every time it is absolutely breathtaking. You know, but then I can't help but think about the archetype of the mother in fairy tales and just laugh because I can just still hear my own mom in my head just beyond frustrated with the typical story archetype of like the dead and absent kind mother. And so last night I was just like, where does this even come from? Like, is it ancient? Is it kind of a pop culture story trope? So I did some digging. I found an interview in E! Online. And so it said, in a revealing interview with Glamour, longtime Disney producer Don Hahn gave two theories to why there are rarely any parents or more specifically mother characters in Disney films. So one theory comes from a practical standpoint, and the other theory stems from a pretty tragic story, which, like, content warning, just bump it ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear. So one one reason is practical, because movies are 80 or 90 minutes long, Disney films are about growing up, they're about the day in your life when you have to accept responsibility. So in shorthand, it's much quicker to have characters grow up when you bump off their parents, Don said. Bambi's mother gets killed so that he has to grow up. Belle only has a father, but he gets lost, so she has to step into that position. And it's a story shorthand. But the next theory about lack of motherly characters is just absolutely heartbreaking. So this is just like a quote from that. So the other reason, and this is really odd, Walt Disney in the early 1940s, when he was still living at his house, bought a house for his mom and dad to move into. He had the studio guys come over and fix the furnace, and when his mom and dad moved in, the furnace leaked and his mother died. The housekeeper came in the next morning and pulled his mother and father out onto the front lawn, and his father was sick and went to the hospital, but his mom died. And he would never talk about it. Nobody ever does. He never spoke about that time because he felt responsible because he had become so successful that he said, let me buy you a house. It's every kid's dream to buy their parents a house. And through a strange freak of nature, through no fault of his own, the studio workers didn't know what they were doing. And I think a movie that is a really poignant example of this to me now is um, Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Do you remember that one with Angelica Houston as like the fabulous stepmother? Yes, I had Ever After on VHS and I watched it all the time. So good. So good. I think I'm going to have to like watch it tonight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Regardless of, of the truth behind the tales, I do wish there were more present mothers in these fairy tales, but I can also see how this forces the initiation of the character. Bambi breaks my heart every time. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm kind of wheeling all over the place here, but I also cannot help but think of the Virgin Mary. I know that there are a lot of Christian witches who worship her as a deity, and I don't have a ton of experience in my adult witchy world with her, but as a child, I just so desperately wanted to be the Virgin Mary in the Christmas Eve play at church. And 
when I got the part but succumbed to a stomach flu, I was just devastated. And my sister still laughs about it. But <laughs> as a young woman in the church, I really trusted Mary as like a icon, you know. Mm-hmm. And those are the lines that I remember from the Bible, the ones that talked about her looking for a manger, the archetypal mother character. And her character is linked to paganism and pagan traditions. I found an article on Big Think that said, Though theoretically monotheistic, the Catholic practice of praying to saints has been called de facto idolatry and even a relic of goddess worship. Rebranded pagan goddesses can be found in the Catholic Church today in forms of St. Bridget and the Virgin Mary. Mary, the Virgin Mother of Christ, is arguably the most important Catholic icon, save for the Holy Trinity. She's likely the amalgamation of pre-Christian mother goddesses from antiquity whose ranks include Artemis, Demeter, Diana, Hera, Isis, and Venus, the cult of the Egyptian goddess. Isis may have had a particularly strong influence on Christian myth. While historical records can't substantiate this entirely, there is physical evidence of statues of Isis, cradling Horus, that were converted and reused as the Virgin Mary holding Jesus. So after reading this, like I don't often think of Artemis or Diana as the mother character, but I can see what they're saying. And I love these stories of Demeter looking for Persephone, like you spoke about earlier. And I just love Isis, Bridget, Selene. And these characters are characters of steadfastness and support. And they have a deep love and a deep way to cast a glow down the halls that they walk. And just one last hard left turn here in my thoughts on the mother is that while researching and thinking about this episode, I couldn't help but think about the herb motherwort. Motherwort is such a wonderful herb that is just, you know, supportive to the uterus, and its scientific name actually means lion-hearted. Though I can't give you medical advice over this podcast, I have used motherwort tincture and just found it to be so energetically supportive during some times when I really needed mothering and to mother myself. mother is the natural caregiver and is full of wisdom. She is fierce and full, and this stage of the triple goddess is filled with fertility, ideas, and projects. You may recognize the mother archetype in stories surrounding other figures like Gaia, even. And when I embody the mother, when I mother myself, I'm making sure that I take care of what needs to be taken care of. I'm not waiting and I'm not looking for anyone else to save the day. Like, I know I am the last one standing. I was watching the new season of Handmaid's Tale last night, which, wow, (laughs) if the new season is out. But, um, you know, one of the commanders looks at June, the main character, and just says, motherhood will always be an evolutionary confusion to me. And why does he say that? He doesn't understand how the mother knows that she's the last line of defense, that she's responsible and she rises to that occasion, like even how you said earlier, um, in a sacrifice. Mother is an archetype that teaches us about standing on our own two feet. 
after we enter the underworld, self-initiate and come to motherhood, who are we? What have we learned as we've stepped into our power and what have we given birth to? And this doesn't have to be birth in the traditional sense, like you mentioned, but can include creative projects, partnerships, dreams, and businesses. And some questions that I ask myself to journal with when I'm thinking about the archetypal mother is kind of like, what rituals can I put into place, especially around the full moon that connects me to the side of myself? And what projects or feelings or dreams can I nourish? And how can I connect in with the earth in new and sustainable ways? And lastly, if you're looking to cultivate a little more tenderness and love, not the shallow kind, but the deeply rooted supportive kind, like how can you mother yourself, initiate yourself, and give birth to a more full version of authentic living? I love these ideas, Kate. Would you say that journaling or word witchery or plant magic is your preferred method when working with the mother archetype? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think I think motherwort is like a great ally to sit with. And like, if you're somewhere, um, you know, kind of on the East Coast, she should be everywhere right now. Um, and also, yeah, like I spoke about earlier with the foremothers and working with my foremothers, I've written letters to them and tucked them on spaces in my altar and it's been kind of a beautiful way to collapse timelines and feel that motherly presence in my life and embodied in myself as well. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kristen Lizenby and Kate Ballou. You can find us online at Easton Alchemy and at K8 Ballou. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram, at Tamed Wild, or on the blog, magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we speak with a very special guest. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mote it be or something better. Until next time.